1: Well, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today, I have another uh, re- return guest, a special guest, uh, Mike Devito. We're going to be talking about uh, a paper that he just published with uh, with Tyler, another uh, Tyler McNabb, another return guest. Uh, these guys are awesome. They're both the co hosts of a podcast called Further in Christendom, where they Interview philosophers and theologians. Great podcast. I recommend you check that out on YouTube. Um, this episode is going to be fun because we're going to be talking about uh, some James Anderson stuff. Anyone who knows me knows I love James Anderson, but it's a little bit like watching someone kick your puppy because they're taking the. <laughs> he's laughing. They're taking the model in a different direction than than I would have. So, without further ado, let's bring Mike in. Mike, <laughs> thanks, thanks uh, for coming back on the podcast, man.
0: Oh, Parker, it's great to be here, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, your beard looks better than it did last time. I don't know how you do it, but I'm, thanks, man. I'm jealous. Every time I watch your so I'm like, man, I wish I could pull off that beard. So well, I thanks for having me back that. on, brother. How are you
1: doing? Dude, doing well, man. Uh, I think since we've talked, I have joined a jiu-jitsu gym, so I've been going three or four times a week.
0: Oh, man. And you already know the wrestling stuff, right? So yeah, you already like a blue bell, purple bell right in that area. It's dude. It's so much fun. I'm going to uh,
1: compete soon at the end of the year. Uh, I guess that's soon. And uh, yeah, I'd have to compete at blue belt. I, I bet you'd probably have to too, right?
0: Yeah. But not because I'm any good, just because I weigh a hundred pounds more than everybody. <laughs> so.
1: I, there's something with like, if you, if you played football or wrestled or did a different like combat sport and yeah. they make you compete at blue belt.
0: Ah, so so it's, like, know, it's fair. Yeah. And I would imagine with wrestling, the only difference is you're not trying to, pin some i mean you're trying to pin somebody but you're not trying to get somebody to tap right whereas right yeah you're, like, you're just you're taking it right to the edge and then stopping where this lets you yeah just, you know get that move in and, and get a get a hold get a pin get some get get, get people tapping out so. it's
1: crazy it's crazy because like i will choke somebody out and they'll go thank you yeah, and I'm like, whoa, wait, hey, dude, and like, it, all right, cool,
0: man. That's yeah, great. it's a humbling. it really a humbling sport, and it reminds me a lot. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but it reminds me reminds me a lot of philosophy, mm-hmm. right? It's like you're you're engaging with somebody else, and you're 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 competing, but at the same time, you're trying to get each other better, right? At yeah. the end of the day, you're trying to get each other better, um, and so yeah, I I really I really enjoyed jujitsu. I, I haven't been able to do it because of the the COVID and the lockdowns and all the gyms. Oh, yeah. Closed and everything, but I'm excited to get back going. We had trained, Parker, we had trained for, like, five months for a meet that was coming up, and the meet was right in the middle of March 2020, and it's so, like, canceled, 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 and it's still being pushed off, so... That was frustrating.
1: But. Yeah. Well, if if uh, JB Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, is listening, uh, we've been very safe. Uh, don't don't slow this down. us <laughs> down. <laughs> <Yeah, right>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Mike, dude. So we're we're gonna talk. We we pulled the last minute because you and Tyler just uh, put out this uh, this new article, which is super interesting. Like I said earlier, it's like kicking uh, my puppy here because you uh, you and Tyler both uh, appreciate the work of James Anderson, uh, one of my intellectual heroes and uh he was just on the podcast recently talking about uh simulation hypothesis and yeah. a analogy but uh, i plug his book as much as i can it is paradox in christian theology and
0: I- i'm pretty sure it's one of your favorites too right you use this oh, book in yours i have three of them in the bookshelf right now because i've, I've written so many notes that I, I needed to get new ones but i feel that yeah just james anderson's fantastic and mm-hmm. and uh I know, I've, I've, I know talking to you and I've talked to Paul Manada, and, you know, a couple more of my, 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 my Calvinist buddies, I know they're frustrated with this one. But I think when Tyler and I were talking through this idea, it wasn't so much. It, it was two things. It was one, the sort of, you know, lack of sufficient solutions to the foreknowledge and freedom problem mm-hmm. we thought. And the fact that Anderson's model seems to have gone overlooked outside of, you know, his applying it to the Trinity and the incarnation, obviously that's been big, but like, man, we got to, this model's too good to just let, you know, let it sit on. We need to see if there's other places within Christian theology, within philosophical theology uh, that where this, this could be applicable uh, because it's such a great robust model that handles so many different issues and, and so many different topics involved yeah so anderson's theory is just fantastic and we thought it it really fit well um when we were looking at the foreknowledge and freedom problem and we thought wow this is a this is a really um this could be an interesting place to extend anderson's model and so yeah. we took it there and now we know uh you know probably to the chagrin of anderson and right. and you guys but uh which is so funny because anderson anderson
1: is a calvinist of calvinists like yeah. uh you know uh uh oliver crisp who's a, a great guy he came on the podcast he wrote trying to mm-hmm. trying to see you know can we have like a broader more ecumenical calvinism you know libertarian calvinism yeah. and anderson's like nope and writes a blog post against that and like uh so it is funny I, I'm, I'm just interested to see uh, his reaction uh yeah. to, to you guys which it, he, it, i mean it's cool maybe so so even it's such a powerful tool that even libertarian free will theorists can use this yeah
0: uh, and, and i think parker too when you think about this I, you have to look at the issue like, i don't know you, now you're a calvinist right yeah now would do you reason that way strictly from the theological fatalist argument so just because god has foreknowledge of future contingents therefore human, mm-hmm. human beings can't mm-hmm. have free will
1: no, so, so I got there, you know, theologically from, yeah, from the Scripture, right, other ways, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I was talking to Paul, too, and he, he was saying the same thing, sort of. It, it serves as evidence for Calvin, right? It could be further evidence for Calvinism. Yeah. But I don't think that—I don't think there's a lot of people that just reason from the, the theological fatalist argument to, you know, full-on Calvinism determinism. Yeah. So— um, so it's been helpful for me during my studies to make that distinction too to yeah. help me realize okay we're just focused on this one sort of argument right so yeah. God's you know divine sovereignty and human freedom that's a whole another issue theologically what the what the what the scriptures say about human free will and God's power and providence over the world that's a that's another issue too and an issue that I'm I'm excited to learning about I mean I have uh, right now about a year blocked off from of my dissertation just to study sort of Libertarian free will, compatibilism, determinism, uh, mm. and all those different issues that you know—I mean, you could spend your whole life studying those and not get to the bottom of everything that's been written on it. So, I guess uh, I know our thesis kind of—it came off pretty strong, but I think the idea was just more: hey, in this sort of one instance where we have this sort, this this paradox, this dilemma here, uh, the you know the. Uh, the Christian who wants to affirm both libertarian free will and exhaustive divine foreknowledge can uh appeal to paradox in this in this case. Yeah. Um so yeah so hopefully Anderson and, and everybody are get won't get too mad at us. <laughs> That's
1: <this>. right. Well <laughs> let's jump in and, and look at the problem. So so um like for, for a theological determinist, depending on the determinism, uh the 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 work is more on the free will side moral responsibility side and if you can settle that in your mind the freedom foreknowledge is, is not really that big of a problem um which it it's a little bit reverse i feel like for for libertarians uh where they want to say well no uh, the we do have free will and now it brings up this new problem of foreknowledge then mm, right um, so can you can you lay out like the problem uh, as you see it
0: yeah yeah and you you hit on it right the, the two key notions involved are omniscience and and free will, and what we mean by those things. So if we look at omniscience, we take it in the paper, and I think what most Christians take it to be, uh, there has been a movement recently, right, of this open theism, I don't know, maybe past 100 years or so, I don't know, it's it's relatively new on the scene. Super new, Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where you're going to deny that God has uh, knowledge of, uh, foreknowledge of future contingents. But generally, you're going to say, yeah, God knows the future, right? God knows all true future contingents. And so that was the notion of omniscience that Tyler and I wanted to, to hold to. We said, okay, for the theist that wants to hold to a robust, strong sense of omniscience that includes not only infallibility, but foreknowledge, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's step one in in sort of the background notions involved in the argument. And then there's there's free will. Now I, I knew and, you can't consult enough people to write a section on free will in a paper because you just you're always going to miss something. There's yeah. so many nuances, and so going back, I wish I could have changed a little bit in that free will section. But the the one condition that we said causes the mo or what people say causes the most issue in the theological fatalist argument is for the libertarian who wants to hold to uh, the ability to do otherwise, the principle of alternate possibilities, and mm-hmm. so. Um, uh, we said, okay, if you want to, for the libertarian that wants to hold the PAP, right? And, and generally, the, the reasons for holding the PAP are the sort of moral responsibility, like you said. Mm-hmm. Can, can we make sense of heaven and hell? Um, can we make states of sense of, uh, you know, divine punishment, divine reward, uh, all of these things, if agents don't have the ability to choose or the ability to otherwise? And like, I'm already nervous to use those terms right because they say well you said choice and you said ability so so all that all the asterisks there like you know i'm i i need to whittle this down and make this more specific but i think generally when people think of libertarian free will the libertarian free will that causes the most problem in the fatalist argument it's libertarian free will that that says agents have the ability to do otherwise and Mm -hmm. so we wanted to look at the fatalist argument, you know, in light of, you know, where is the most tension? And so we assume those two notions for omniscience that includes foreknowledge and libertarian free will. That includes uh PAP. Yeah. So now you you take those two notions and you run the argument. So, again, my boy, my boy, uh, Paul Minato was mad at me because I in the paper I had talked about, you know, deciding between drinking coffee and tea and orange juice and uh, one of the first thing he says was, "Hey, don't give me this coffee, tea, orange juice crap. Like, talk about deadlifting." And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> that's right, dude. <laughs> I was like, it's okay, so next, next uh, when I when I write the next yeah. paper, it'll happen." Oh, I that. caught
1: I caught some of it later in the paper. You talked about the Hulk. That yeah, means, that's right. Analogical <laughs> knowledge, God is powerful, yeah. but so is the Hulk. That was good. I like that one.
0: <laughs> we need more of that. So you yeah. can only keep the meathead in for so many that's words. Right. That's words right. And, uh, um, so let's say uh, tomorrow. During my workout, I'm going to deadlift. I'm going to get deadlift heavy, too. Get, like, six, 700 pounds on there. Get after it. Um, the idea is, okay, if God has exhaustive foreknowledge of all true future contingents, then God knew, say, any time prior to tomorrow, say, the beginning of the world, the beginning of creation, um, that tomorrow during my lift, I would deadlift heavy. Uh, and now, if there's nothing... We can do. Oh, you know what? We probably should make it a choice. I'm sorry. Let's let's go. Let's let's run it like this. Let's say tomorrow um, I'm getting ready to do my lift, and I'm deciding whether to bench press, squat, Damn. or hang clean. I mean, you got you got one of the core lifts. You got to decide which one to do, and. Uh, I'm gonna squat. i I mean, any as like any good uh, offensive lineman, defensive lineman. I'm gonna get in there and get a squat in. Mm-hmm. And so, let's say I'm deliberating tomorrow during my lift, and I decide to squat. I, I decide to squat over bench and, and hang clean. Now, if God has exhausted foreknowledge of all true future contingents, then at the say the creation of the world, He, bro, I would choose to do to change the past, right, the past is fixed, so God, God's belief at T1, at the creation of the world, that I would squat tomorrow, there's nothing I can do to change that, um, then it seems like when tomorrow comes, given that God can't be wrong and that I can't change the past, it seems like uh, I had no choice but to squat tomorrow. Right. Um, and so, okay, and given the notions involved, right, it, it seems like Uh, Okay. either I have to deny that God knows that I'm going to squat tomorrow or I have to deny that I have uh, the ability to do otherwise. Um, And so that's sort of, you know, I don't know. Did I did I miss anything there? I know I'm I'm still a rookie when it comes to laying some of these issues out uh, in real time. But so correct me if I'm wrong, but if I missed anything or if I'm wrong, but that's the general sort of theological fatalist argument is, is is what I just laid out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's good. It's, it's, uh, it's reminiscent of like uh, Peter van consequence argument. Uh, Like if, if the, you know, if something is uh, determines you before you were born, before you made this choice to to do it, it's just the consequence of these factors, the necessary consequence. Then like, you didn't seem like you're free. Cause we all kind of, and I I think this is a point that you kind of draw out you, you and Tyler that like, intuitively people think free will is the ability to do otherwise like it, you you can't really be blameworthy um for killing someone if you couldn't have done otherwise if right. you know you were you're were predestined to do it if if you were de- determined biologically to do it or uh some other way determined and you weren't right. able to not do that and so it's kind of an intuition uh, libertarian free will, and then also uh, omniscience—the way you you laid it out—it's another just intuitive thing. You ask someone off the street who knows a little bit about theology, free will, and omniscience—it's going to be the intuitive claim that, that you guys make.
0: Yeah, and Parker, and, what, and, what, and see what you said too. Though I think is is even is another reason why I think this was a great place to extend Anderson's model is on the free now the the um, foreknowledge and freedom problem there, there, there is no determinism, right? It's just the fact that God knows that you're going to do something. And so intuitively you're like, well, wait, why would God's knowledge of this, uh, you know, have any sort of impact on what I do just because he knows it. Right. When you think about determinism or, or uh, Calvinism or God ordering everything, then there's, there's a causal sort of relationship between what you do and, and what, and what, you know, why you did it. Right. When it comes to the foreknowledge of freedom market, there doesn't seem to be, at least if you're just looking right. at the argument itself, there doesn't seem to be anything like that in it. It's just the fact that God knows. Now, you could yeah. bring up, well, what is it that God knows? Right. And maybe you can work it back, and some have worked it back to, well, the best sort of explanation for what God knows is, the, you know, some sort of determinism, you know. Right. Um, uh, but again, if you, if you take sort of any sort of background information and just look at the fate of this argument, uh, it seems yeah. difficult to see, well, why, why is it that God's knowledge would limit my ability outside of this, you know, just this, like you said, like this consequence argument.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, important distinction too, that, that you just brought out was like, it's, we're looking at that. He knows not how he knows how he knows right. would be the more determinism yeah, it's right. just, That's just that he knows. And so, you know, if he knows tomorrow that you're going to, uh, clean instead of bench and you bench instead of Hank then you've falsified his knowledge yeah well, it right. turns right. out he's not omniscient because he was wrong his knowledge right. failed right and we right. don't we don't believe that's
0: true so right right and that's and that's an uh, you, you, that's exactly right and and this issue the more I dig and the more I learn I've only be, really been researching it since uh, you know past May June so almost a year, coming up on a year now. Uh the more you dig, the more you recognize how many issues are actually intertwined in any sort of solution to this, right? So yeah. you bring up God's knowledge and in, in, in you know him being infallible and his beliefs. Um and then you you know we talk about determinism and is there something there that God knows? What is it that grounds this knowledge that God knows? Mm-hmm. What's the causal relationship between me doing something and God knowing something? Mm-hmm. And then you, you pull back the layers even more and you get into time ontologies and you get into how each solution fits into these time ontologies and the metaphysics of time. Uh, obviously, the free will and determinism debate comes in, just just mm-hmm. looking at uh, looking at that on its own and what we actually mean by free will. And, um, and so that was another again, this just highlights another reason. And I think I, I say it in the conclusion of the paper, it's like, look, there's so many issues intertwined here. That are when you look at them individually are far from settled, right? Or yeah. What the correct answer is when it comes to, uh, you know, the metaphysics of time. You know, that's a, that's not it's not exactly a settled thing. And then no. uh, we talk about divine providence, and, you, and some of these authors are, are writing about how any solution would need to fit into not only a metaphysics of time, but a, you know how God, divine providence and how God orders things, which makes sense. And so looking at just those two issues alone, those are those are hard to work out by themselves. And now you wrap up causality, dependence, all these other things, the nature of God uh, into it. And you have so many issues meeting at a crossroads. And it was just like, this is the perfect place to appeal to analogy because there's just so much going on here. And it's like all, all these nodes in this structure, mm-hmm. if you change one, the whole structure changes, right? And it's so like, if you if you change your metaphysics of time, now you have to adjust your you know concept of free will. And if you change your concept of free will, now you have to adjust what you mean by causality. And it's like, you change one thing and five other things adjust. And it's just like, um, so I hope, I, that was another thing I really hoped, and I know Tyler and I hope to motivate, was this this isn't sort of an ad hoc, um, or a punt, even though it is sort of a punt, um, but it really that this is is well motivated given the nature of the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. So a question that comes up for me in in uh, using so we'll we'll get into these terms. Uh, Anderson's McCrew and his wrapped model, yeah. his uh, rational affirmation of uh, paradoxical theology. Uh, in, in using this, so uh, when he applies this to the Trinity, he says look, it, it makes sense uh, that we can't understand the Trinity because the uh, creator-creature distinction and comprehensibility, God's right. up there, we're down here, right? And so we right. may we may not understand the Trinity because of our place in history, and maybe our ancestors will, but right. probably it's because there's this ontological gap between us. Right? Um, and I'm wondering, are you guys... Are you guys uh, likewise appealing to it um, because of incomprehensibility or you're saying in, maybe we can figure this out next year, maybe, you know, William yeah. and Craig will write some paper and this is like a, a, a shorthand way of, of understanding it? Or
0: is this because there is that ontological gap? Mm, have, you guys yeah, had, have you thought through that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not quite sure right now. No. I need to think about that more. I think in the paper, if I if I remember correctly, we laid it out as a sort of epistemic proposal where we could be rational yeah. in holding to these two propositions uh, in spite of the impera conflict, right? So that God has the you know exhaustive foreknowledge and we have libertarian free will, um, and say, okay, we can, if, as long as you know the sort of this these this epistemic these epistemic conditions are met. Yeah. Uh, would be rational on each of these, you know, uh, regardless, in spite of the parent contradiction. Yeah. Um, and so we can embrace them both still rationally now. Yeah. So well, so this doesn't go
1: against the idea that someone could figure this out tomorrow. And yeah. That, that's, and and well, it's just saying you can be rational even if you don't have that answer yet. But but maybe someone comes along and, and comes up with some brilliant solution right. that doesn't discredit what, what you guys have done in applying his model.
0: I think I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's I don't think you want to, I, at least as far as I've thought through it now, Parker, I don't think you want to say there is no solution here. You're like, Yeah, we're just going to say as of right now, we have these two commitments uh, and uh, in, in light of this argument, they seem contradictory. But nevertheless, here's this epistemic story, and we can appeal to paradox and be rational to do it. But yeah. right, ultimately, if somebody did come out, come up with this, you know, fantastic solution to the problem, or if you know through your studies you said, oh, actually, this one, or you know, the alchemist is right, or the mole yeah. is right, sure. uh, then you could just embrace those, right? So yeah. yeah, so I think that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. I, I like these,
1: I like these kind of uh, solutions because they give us. I always think of them uh, to to be a meathead, as like a safety rack. Right, yeah. so it's like I can go with you, and and you guys even address this towards uh, an atheistic objection against theism, yeah. right? So an atheist would say, well, you know, if God, uh, fun, uh, a uh, essential attribute of God is foreknowledge, right. and so if God exists, then foreknowledge exists. But you have libertarian free will, and that goes against foreknowledge. Therefore, you, you either let go of libertarian free will, or you let go of your belief in God. And you're saying, right. not necessarily. Even though I'm not solving the solution right now, I'm saying it's just we can justify. Justifiably believe both things because it's a safety rack. You know, you you right. fall your squat, but you're not going to break your knees.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. And you get back up and reload the weights and give it another go. Yeah, yeah. that that's that's exactly right. And th- there's a parallel, right, with the problem of evil. I, I hear you talking. And it reminds me. Oh yeah. No, and this is sort of the same sort of response that the skeptical theist is going to make when it comes to the problem of evil. We said, look. We're just not in a uh, you know in, in, the, in a place epistemically to say one way or the other. So we're open to these theodicies. We're open to these um, different solutions to the problem, the problem of evil. But nevertheless, given our, the, the distance epistemically between our cognitive abilities and an infinite God, um, we just couldn't know why he allows evil to happen, but, but, you know, we can still rationally believe that he is all good and all loving and all knowing yeah. and, all and all that. So, yeah, so the, the, the solution is, is very similar to the skeptical theist solution to the problem of evil. It just adds that it's, you know, like Anderson, all of Anderson's work, I mean, it's incredibly robust and it adds that really, um, the really uh robust and uh epistemic sort of foundation to uh to the problem which i would just is just so much uh i, I feel like so much more rich and, and uh interesting and so but that's that's just that's anderson's work right, right. I mean, he, he's right. Always, his stuff is great like that so
1: yeah well and being a uh so he he follows van Til and planning um Uh, I heard uh, actually in your podcast with him um, that he said he's a little bit more Ventilian, which I was excited about, but (laughs) but in following planning, he does make, you know, there's the, the, uh, there's the, the de jure versus de facto uh, objections against theism. And, And this is going at the de jure, like the argument that it's, it's, not that it's true or false, but that it's irrational to me. Yeah, it. And it's right. like, no, no, it's perfectly rational. Now let's go and solve the de facto. Let's go see. Yeah. If or not. But we stop stop playing these games with my psychology saying oh, that I can't. Believe
0: yeah. That's really good. That's exactly right. It's the de jure de facto distinction. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Is it rational to hold to these? It could be. It could come up later that it's that it de facto wrong to believe right. something right. is the case. But it's not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I love it. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I like that part. Okay,
1: well, so let's uh,
0: really
1: I, let's jump in on uh, on some Anderson stuff here. Um, so can you can you lay out for us like like uh, wrapped in McCrews and we yeah. can talk about what work that's doing for you guys. Yeah.
0: So, like you said, um, Anderson's model is he, he uses the rational affirmation of, of paradox theology, which I think is going to be my next tattoo, because I, I get a tattoo <laughs> for every publication. So I think I'm going to get a wrapped tattoo. Awesome. Um, but for, but the macro, that's the underlying, one of the, the motivating things uh, underneath this idea. And so um, uh, the idea of a macro is, is a, a merely apparent contradiction resulting from an unarticulated equivocation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, the, the example we use in the paper, say, you know, and to, to draw the distinction between an actual contradiction and an apparent contradiction, right? So if I say, you know, if some object is square, and I also say of that object, it is uh, a circle. Right. That that's a that's contradictory. Something can't be both a square and a circle. We can yeah. either be one or the other, right? right. I mean or a square, not a square, yeah. That's right. Or square, not a square. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and so we use a color, right? That that object is monochromatically red, it is uh not monochromatically red. And so uh uh those are that's a contra that's an actual contradiction, right? So far as we can tell, there's no way to reconcile that. It's an it's a contradictory statement. Yeah. Uh, But now, if you had, um, uh, we used uh, two propositions, you hear someone saying, having a child is painful, and then you heard that same person say a little while later, having a child is not painful, right? And so, at first appearance, that seems contradictory, right? Mm -hmm. Having a child is painful, having a child is not painful, those seem like contradictory statements, uh, but if you get some more information and you find out that the first statement, having a child, is painful, is talking about the actual childbirth, mm-hmm. and then you hear more about the second statement, and you find out that having a child is not painful means just being the parent of a child. Um, now that that contradiction resolves, right? Because there's equivocation on on the term "having," right? Having in the first sense actually having a child, birthing a child. Whereas having in the second proposition meant just being the parent of a child, yeah. uh, and so with that, once you, once the equivocation is articulated, the contradiction resolves, yeah.
1: um,
0: and so that's what's underlying Anderson's model is that all par—he says all paradoxical theology should be understood as macros, um, and so if I have these. He talks about the Trinity, the Incarnation, right? So if God is three and God is one and these seem contradictory, but yet I have good reason to believe that God is three, good theological reason to believe that God is three. And I have good theological reason to believe God is one, whether it be, you know, the teachings of a pastor or the sort of uh, movement of the Holy Spirit or my reading of the Bible or whatever it may be. I, I come to hold these two... Um, these two propositions that and that seem to conflict with each other, but I have good evidence to think each one is true. Um, uh, then, okay, if and this is the the underlying epistemology is planning is proper functionalism, right? Okay. So, I'm holding these two propositions, and if my beliefs meet planning as proper functionalist conditions, whereas. I have uh, properly functioning cognitive faculties in the environment. They were designed to function aimed at truth and producing more true beliefs than false beliefs. Then I can be irrational in holding to both, um, in holding to both propositions in spite of the uh, uh, apparent contradiction. And I can chalk it up to a macro, right? So there's some, there's some equivocation going on here. Um, and we don't, we don't know where it is, mm-hmm. but uh, I can, you know, I can hold to these. And and that brings us to, okay, well, okay, wh- how do we know we have an uh, unarticulated equivocation? And you talked about before the, the doctrine of divine incomprehensibility, right? So um, uh, it just, I mean, this is across the board. Everybody, the, I don't think anybody thinks we could totally and exhaustively know what, me, what we mean when we say God is this or God is that, or, or you know, I mean, we have some idea, um, but God is, is incomprehensible in some sense of the, you know, of some sense of these terms. He's, he's so much greater than us, right? God's ways are, are greater than our ways. Thoughts of our thoughts I mean he's an infinite mind we're this finite mind. Yeah. So I, I, use the analogy of, uh, uh, my dog and, and me, right. And it's like my little 10 pound Shih Tzu Yorkie dog. Yeah. <laughs> it always looks funny when you have some 300 pound guy, right. That's right. with a little thing. um, um, but I talk about how, uh, okay, my dog can pro- probably know, you know, some things. I don't know what we mean by know there, but he, my dog knows the sound of my voice. Uh, he knows when I give him basic command, out for him, and things like that. So he has, he has some knowledge, but uh, my dog can't comprehend that I love my wife or that I enjoy studying philosophy or, or things like that. I mean, am I I like to think my cognitive ability is a lot greater than my dog's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, how, how much greater are God's abilities, right? Infinitely greater than ours. And so, there's this doctrine of divine incomprehensibility. Um, and, and, and what connects that with the macros is the doctrine of analogy, right? And so, the doctrine of analogy is okay, given this divine incomprehensibility, given that God is, is either ontologically, so much ontologically greater than we are or ontologically different than we are, depending on, you know, which uh, model of God you're working with, um, we have to think of these terms, uh, you know, whatever predication we have of God, we have to think of these analogically, right? Mm-hmm. So when we say that God is loving or God is good or God um, is omniscient, omnipotent, and all those things, we mean something like God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, um, but not in the fullest sense of the term, right? The term is loosened a bit yeah. uh, to allow for this idea of divine incomprehensibility. comprehensibility. And given that, that the terms are loosened, right, what what we're using our human language uh, to describe God, given that we don't have a one-for-one um, uh, uh um, sort of corresponds with what God is to the words that we're using and the mm-hmm. language use of God. Um, uh, and that we have to appeal to analogy. It seems natural and motivated to think at some points our theorizing about God is gonna bottom out into uh, apparent contradictions, right? And, and that shouldn't be surprising. there will be times where we're just we're reasoning about God, especially when you're getting into philosophical theology and things that are outside of the scriptures. Um, like the like the uh, you know what Tyler and I are doing now in, in this mm-hmm. paper the foreknowledge and free will um, when you're getting into these issues that aren't explicitly stated uh, but even within Scripture right I mean Anderson does it with the Trinity and the incarnation yep. um, uh, again it's just it, it's not surprising that at points we're just gonna we're gonna be like well it's it seems like there's a conflict here. But we have good reason to think these things are true. Yeah. And so given Anderson's model, everything that I've laid out, right? The, the the macros and the analogy and divine comprehensibility, we are totally justified and warranted uh, in holding to these beliefs. Um, if we meet sort of the proper functionalist conditions for warrant. And so yeah. that's the broad idea. I mean, I'm still I probably I'm still getting used to laying mm. all this. There's so many aspects of it. Yeah. Um, you crushed that, it,
1: man. That was really helpful. That, yeah,
0: that, I appreciate it, Parker. That that's that's the basic idea, and so that is sort of one half of my dissertation. Yeah. Is this right? Is is taking Anderson's model and applying it to the foreknowledge and freedom problem, and really expanding on what Tyler and I did in this paper. Yeah, um, and so that's that's what I'll be. Something a lot of what I'll be studying over the past, you know, the next few years,
1: yeah, that's awesome. Well, something that I really like about Anderson, uh, and his model is that, uh, he's not cutting off his theology, he's not cutting off the corners in order to answer this problem, he's going deeper into theology and saying, No, we're going to talk creator creature distinction and incomprehensibility comes from that, and yeah, that's what you laid out here. Um Mike Ray does that in his um The Hiddenness of God book. Yeah. Uh, and he does well, the same yeah, and he does the same thing to answer the the hiddenness uh, argument and he says, "Hey, if we're reasoning outside of scripture, at best our ideas about God are analogical." Right. And in and, and in analogies, uh analogies break down and and he's a, he might be a little bit more uh pessimistic about analogies than I would like to be, but he's right. saying in analogies there's ambiguity, which part of the analogy is doing the work and which is not. And philosophers always say, well, there's got to be some kind of univocal core to it. Uh, and, and for the listeners, univocal just means in the same sense, unique vocal with one voice, right? And so um, the important step in this, uh, in a macro, is they're merely apparent contradictions resulting from unarticulated equivocation. So it's because the word is being used in two different senses, one God and three persons, the one and three are different. But when you take them to be univocal in the same sense, instead of a uh, equivocal sense, then you get this contradiction of one and
0: three. Yeah. right. It seems so reasonable, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure I will come across it at some point, but I would be, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a theist of any flavor that says, no, we, we totally and exhaustively know everything we need to know about God and we can yeah. totally exhaustively, you know, systematically build this, uh, you know, all our theories about God without any equivocation, without any need to appeal to analogy, uh, yeah. you know, and all that. So I think it's well motivated. I think, I think it's, uh, it's just intuitive. It's, it's yeah. it seems, it seems right. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes Anderson's model so great is, um, it's not, it's not a reach, you know,
1: at all. Right. And so I love analogical uh, thoughts because I I am a Vantilian and uh, Anderson's blog, you know, it's, it's at uh, prognosco.com, but it's, it's, it's called analogical thoughts because he's a Vantilian himself too. So uh, what what I love about analogy is, is it is that third way between equivocation. You're using one sense, uh, uh, sorry, univocal language, one sense, equivocal language, which is, it's, it's a, uh, informal fallacy right because right. you're using things and in, in, you're not speaking about the same thing in the same sense but then there's an analogy which is like the middle way between where you can speak literally about something you can speak truly but it's not univocally right and so there is this stretch there that some uh philosophers talk about like a, a semantic stretch or uh a, 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 yeah, you're stretching the word so like yeah. you, you drop a stitch or you drop your uh
0: your phone like they're both right. drop but it's analogical I think Swinburne uses the the language of like loosening the terms to allow for more, more room. Right. I, yeah. I don't remember where, I don't know if it's Anderson who says it, who uses this analogy, but I, I mean, we do this, we do this all the time. Right. So when I'm talking to my son and I'm trying to explain to him the workings of an atom, right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, atoms have these particles and you have this electron, this electron on the outside and these protons and neutrons on the inside, the electron orbits, and so they're so they're that that's true in a sense right but then if you talk to sort of a quantum physicist you gonna say well no there's this wave functioning and all this other funky stuff going on and so it's not really like that so what i told my son wasn't wasn't really a lie mm-hmm. right but it but it's i've loosened the ideas to convey a truth even though the fullness of you know the truth of the atom isn't conveyed to him he gets sort of the basic picture maybe yeah. maybe that's a a way to think about it you know
1: yeah yeah and so so like a uh a difference in between analogy and like equivocation would be like uh i i shot my gun versus like i shot a uh i shot hoops and it's like that's an equivocal sense because right. it's not the same thing it's the same word just it's being used in completely different ways and right. if you were to say like i i shot hoops all day therefore uh you know i i shot a gun it's like well no that's a that's informal fallacy that's equivocation but if you said yeah. like yeah, I dropped a hem when I was stitching and I dropped my phone. They're both in the same sense, but it's not a univocal sense that the, the right. thing can be stretched enough without equivocating.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And and what I'm interested in seeing and what I hope comes from this is I'm hoping sort of the Paul Manadas and, and, and the, the, the Parker set cases and, the, <laughs> and my Calvinist friends take this and say, well, no. This is actually better applied here, right? For the, mm-hmm. the determinist who wants yeah. to hold to this and can, you know, so maybe more responsibility and and this idea of people being free and, and not free and still being morally responsible. And so, yeah. uh, that that's the main goal. And I know that's what t- really Tyler and I wanted was uh, we're we're libertarians, um, but we we want this this theory to get back out there because it's really not to get back out there, but I think it just needs to be utilized more. It's exactly. such a, it's such a, uh, I think it's such a great tool, especially within analytic theology yeah. uh, it can be utilized to address so many different issues. And, and like you're saying, I mean, it's not, it's not unmotivated. So, yeah. so yeah, so I'm hoping maybe you and Paul team up and write up. I right <laughs> yeah, I've been
1: trying to to entice him to come on the podcast, uh, so so we'll see. But yeah. dude, I was super uh, fired up because I I was reading uh, Oliver Crisp's book analyzing doctrine last semester, and in his in his chapter on the Trinity, he pulls up he pulls up Anderson's work, and yeah. it's like, dude, let's go. If if Oliver Crisp is using it, then it's going to get back out there. So yeah. likewise, like I'm I'm really excited to see what you guys are doing. But let's let's uh, can we go? Like, how do you guys apply? Uh, the the model the rap oh, model yeah. the crew to uh, to the problem
0: there yeah yeah and th- this is this is an interesting area that I think even after writing our paper I think needs more sort of flushing out is Anderson's model builds off of so so you have planning as proper function then you have planning as idea about the census divinitatus and how you can be You know, if God exists, we could be expected to be created with this God faculty that allows us to have these basic beliefs that God exists. Right. Um, And then he extends that to Christianity. Well, if Christianity is true, then we'd be warranted in our belief in Christianity, uh, maybe through the Holy Spirit or a pastor or something like that. Um, uh, and, And so come to believe in a basic sense that Christianity is true. And then Anderson extends it to paradoxical or seemingly paradoxical, seemingly contradictory doc, uh, doctrines like the Trinity and the Incarnation. Mm-hmm. Anderson Anderson's extension of the model only applies to theological issues, right? So, so maybe not directly stated, but um, uh, uh, the Trinity or the Incarnation, and so. We were Tyler and I were limited in how we could extend the model because we didn't want to say that libertarian free will as PAP uh, understood as, as one well, one sort of necessary component of libertarian free will being PAP. Mm-hmm. We couldn't extend the model to that. So we had to try to motivate uh, libertarian free will as PAP on its own mm-hmm. and then extend the model to a theological um, uh, theological notion, which would be omniscience but specifically for knowledge so we said okay here are these reasons that you would possibly think that libertarian free will is basic and you would want to hold to it Mm -hmm. uh moral responsibility being the thing again heaven and hell all that stuff so we we quickly lay out sort of a case for why we would want to hold to libertarian free will and then we extend the models okay you have this belief and you need this this belief or you you want to hold to this belief in, in libertarian free will you 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 know, and you all the proper functionalist conditions are met. And so this is a warranted belief. Um, and now we, we extend the model. And so what we say, okay, if we look at the, the, the uh, fatalist argument, the theological fatalist argument, what it's saying is, if God foreknows uh, a certain event will happen, uh, then what you know or certain decision that i'll make in the future then that decision wasn't free uh and yet we we want to say that that decision isn't free so if 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 that decision is genuinely free then given the fatalist argument we would have to say that god didn't know that that decision was going to take place and so we say okay so we have this equivocation going on then with foreknowledge so let's extend the model to foreknowledge and say okay We have two senses of foreknowledge, foreknowledge one and foreknowledge two. Foreknowledge Hmm. one is God, um, if God foreknows all true future contingents, I mean, I'm sorry, God foreknows all true future contingents. God has foreknowledge of all true future contingents. That's foreknowledge one. Um, Foreknowledge two is God does not have foreknowledge of all true future contingents in a way that limits libertarian free will and so you have this equivocation going on with foreknowledge but God has foreknowledge but not exactly in the sense that we would think that foreknowledge could be right so if I if you had you know some human notion of, of foreknowledge or you know if they're if, if I could tell the future or something and that, that's sort of what's motivating the argument it is you you know we God knows exactly what will happen and we're saying okay God knows but he knows in a way that doesn't conflict with Pat. And so let me get the actual, uh, let me flip to the actual thing here because I'm not being super specific.
1: So I'm looking on page, oh, it doesn't have pages. It's like 10 of the PDF. Uh,
0: yeah. So this was, we did we. Re- i I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Can you There's hear me? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Do you hear me now? Oh,
0: yeah, right. yeah, I got you. So I'm, got
1: I'm looking on page 10 of, of the article. Um, and you lay it out, and you talk about, uh, this is where you get into the ABCD, right, argument? Right. And it's it's God possesses foreknowledge, one, of all tr- uh, true future contingents, and then B, if God possesses foreknowledge, and this is two, of all future contingents, human beings lack libertarian free uh, will. Sorry. Okay. And, and and I think, that I think so. that's really how—I I think what you're doing, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that you guys are saying A— uh, has this uh, foreknowledge one, and it's not specified how God knows. Right. But two uh, or B has foreknowledge two, and foreknowledge two has been specified such that it uh, delimit or it delimits or hurts uh, libertarian free will.
0: Exactly. Exactly. exactly.
1: Yeah, you've picked out a certain type of foreknowledge, and you haven't specified that either. But for whatever reason, the the intuition. That we have, or the argument as it's laid out, picks a foreknowledge that is directly incom- uh, incompatible with uh, PAP.
0: Right, right. And it, it makes sense, right? If, if you're saying you can't bail on PAP and you can't bail on foreknowledge, then the foreknowledge that's used in the in the theological fatalist argument that's causing the problem, we're saying, okay, well, God doesn't have it in that sense, right? He yeah. has foreknowledge in the first sense. He has Foreknowledge of all true future contingents, but not foreknowledge in such a way that it conflicts with pat. And so, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I apologize. So I had those totally. mixed up. Uh, and so we're saying, OK, there's the there's your equivocation. Right. There's something going on with the concept of foreknowledge, which would make sense. It's a divine attribute to think that we would know it exhaustively and, incom- you know, comprehensively, uh, you know, on Anderson's model. It makes sense that we're not going to yeah. know that. Uh, And so that's where we located the unarticulated equivocation. I say, okay, here's the, here's the unarticulated equivocation. Something's going on here with foreknowledge. God has it in this one sense, but not in this other sense. And, you know, we can now appeal to, to paradox. And so that was, that's sort of the core idea of the argument.
1: Well, okay. So now I get why, how you guys are using the incomprehensibility? I didn't understand it before, but now I do. So you're saying, so someone is arguing with you, let's call them an atheist. And they say, Freedom and foreknowledge. Uh, so God possesses foreknowledge. You go yes, and then you go well. If God has foreknowledge and all true uh, of all true future contingents, then you don't have uh, libertarian free will, including pap of that variety. Right. And you say well, no, that's that's not the the foreknowledge I'm picking out. You're picking out one that's directly contradictory. And they go well, how would it work then? What is it like God watching a a video of of the Super Bowl from last yeah. year and like they can't play the same thing? And you kind of think through. It. And if that's contradictory, you just go well, no, it's not like that. It's not like that one either. And it's not like this one. You're, you're producing all these analogies or models or metaphors. I'm saying because God is so far above us, he can have foreknowledge in a way that's not contradictory but still appears paradoxical to me in my finite mind.
0: Parker, you said it better than I could have said I think said it. I'm getting it. I think <laughs> yeah, I'm getting yeah. it. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly right. That's that's exactly the idea. Um, and what we, we framed it in in uh as a debate between so as a coherency issue between the the atheist and the theist but obviously it has major applicability sort of within the walls of uh you know the in-house debate over freedom Mm -hmm. and foreknowledge um but yeah so but yeah but the way you the way you laid out is exactly right and um and we didn't think it was we didn't think it was really special pleading for the theist. Now this won't be part of my dissertation, but this was part of the paper. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, there are a number of of naturalistic paradoxes that um, the naturalist will have to appeal to. Uh, well, we just don't know, right? You, you see this kind of stuff in quantum mechanics. You see relativity, uh, general relativity, special relativity, all this sort of, strange and weird paradoxes that I don't even, you know, I don't understand half the time. Uh, The idea is, well, if we had all the information, we could figure it out, but we don't have all the information and we might not ever be able to get all the information, uh, but we just know an atom and an electron functions like this. And it also functions like this. And these seem to be contradictory, but, you know, if we had all the information, we'd know it wouldn't. And so that's, we're basically pulling the same move and and it makes sense, right? I mean, we we might not know on this side of of eternity, why, you know, why these things seem to conflict. Right. Uh, but if we did have all the knowledge, I think it's reasonable to think that we would we would understand why.
1: Yeah, and so this is this has been a criticism of Plantinga's, uh epistemology, his uh, reformed epistemology or proper functionalism, if you want to call it that, is that you know it might leave too much room, and then the uh, people who you don't want on standing on your on your uh, view stand on your view. So atheists get to say, well. I'm, I'm justified in my belief in atheism because of planning as, uh, or I'm warranted in my belief because of planning as uh, warrant warrant uh, conditions. And so then planning, it comes up with this evolutionary argument against naturalism and says, Nope, you're off. You know, you, I got to kick you off too. Would you have written on or, uh, everyone check out, uh, is it in the next philo- philosophy? Yeah. Yeah. Sophia Christie. It's
0: in the next philosophy. Christie. Yeah.
1: Awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to that one as well. But so with this model, Something that I'm I'm always nervous about is <clears throat> I don't want this game of just we're all justified we're all just on yeah. even ground so someone might say well I've heard this this argument before you you start pressing them on their worldview and how it can't uh, account for certain phenomena that we take to be basic and they say well how do you you expect me a finite uh, evolved ape on this planet to to be able to answer all of life's questions for you and it's this it's the same kind of ploy right it, it's yeah. the same kind of move saying. I'm warranted and it's kind of a skeptical anti-theism or non-theism. So I think, I think what, what's interesting about you uh, you guys pulling from Anderson is that you can say my worldview uh, makes sense of this because of the incomprehensibility of God. Now, do, do you have a similar doctrine in your, in your worldview that can account for this or, uh, are you just appealing to ignorance? Cause there is a difference between just right. saying, I don't know versus no, I, the rest of my theology makes sense of why I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head with the de jure de facto. I don't think we should bail on the de facto right. side of it. Right. Like let's, let's get the natural theologies and let's talk about sort of yeah. your presuppositional, Right. So let's, yeah. let's compare the worldviews and see who's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The de facto yeah, is important still. Yeah. 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 So the de facto part is, is still important. You should talk. I know you said you had Tyler coming on too. You talked about you should talk to him about his his project because his whole PhD was called "Closing Pandora's Box," mm-hmm. where he um, lays out all these different arguments on why these different worldviews can't appeal to uh, planning as proper functional uh, epistemology for mm-hmm. defense of their own. So, like, and, and I think that the evolutionary argument being. Uh, against natural and being one of the main arguments against the naturals. So, um, so I think there are, so he lays out reasons why even, even just thinking of it from a de jure perspective um, there are reasons to think that these other worldviews can appeal to, uh, to planning as epistemology. Uh, But even more so let's not bail on the de facto uh, uh, part of the, the debate. I think, I think that's, that's important. Yeah, um, but I do understand your concern, right? And that's something I'm, I'm trying to work out more in my head as well, right? Is yeah. what is too? What's too much of a punt? When are we punting on second down instead yeah. of fourth down? You know, oh, yeah. like, you know do we punt too early here? Are we just is everything basic, and we can just walk, right. you know, fend off any sort of objection. Well, it's just a basic belief, or you know, I have these proper functioning faculties, and I, you know, Holy Spirit told me, and so I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, not that I think that that's wrong, but i I feel what you're saying. There is something like, well, all right, sure, but uh, so I guess it just all circles back to well, let's let's continue the, the the de facto stuff as yeah. well.
1: No, you're, that's right, man. So one thing that 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 uh, is another another interesting thing is, can we make this argument in a way that an internalist would also, enjoy it you know so i guess a lot of i guess most epistemologists are uh externalists but most christian philosophers are internalists is that that right? is, and, and, and I, that's what i've heard from people yeah. and i think that it's it's probably has to do with our theology versus yeah. they want to uh, they non-christians want a naturalized epistemology or you know naturalists want a naturalized epistemology and so it's externalism and i wonder i wonder if you could get this done just spitballing here, you know, without without appealing to Plantingian warrant for your justified beliefs. Yeah. Um, if if you, I guess, if you had a different view of warrant or justification, and you're still yeah. a Christian, I think you can still probably make that appeal to incomprehensibility and use this model.
0: Yeah, you could use sort of, you could use like a phenomenal conservatism, right? Where It's saying, okay, uh, I have this seemings that this is the this strong seemings that uh, God is three. I have the strong seeming that God is one. So in the absence of any defeaters, I'm rational and holding to both of those beliefs. Yeah, so you could you could appeal it seems like you could appeal to a sort of phenomenal consism in place of the proper function where you could just say, "Okay, I have this I have this strong seemings that God is three. I have this strong seemings that God is one, and in the absence of any defeaters, uh, I'm rational and warranted in believing uh, each." And they say, "Okay, well the apparent the, the contradiction is a defeater." Well, no, uh, we have divine, you know, we have this sort of divine incomprehensibility. We have this analogy, and so, and we have this rap model laid out by Anderson, which allows me to sort of appeal to paradox, assuming this internalist um, uh, theory of warrant. You know, maybe something yeah. like that. I'm, I'm sure the epistemologist le- uh, listening might not agree with that, but that, like you said, spitball, and that that could be yeah. that could be the case. Um, yeah. I, that's generally, I mean. That's genuinely how I I think about it, right? That, that's like you know I have this strong feeling that these two propositions are right, and so um, how do I reconcile? Uh, do do I have to bail on holding these two beliefs? Do I have to bail on one or both, or or is there a way to hold the both? Um, yeah. So that could do so the problem the, the uh, phenomenal conservatism. So we could do some work there. I, I awesome. think. I,
1: no, I think that's good, man, because because you 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 and Tyler wanted to extend out Anderson's reach here, and I think that's that's another great way to to say you someone else can extend this too. If you're not a Plantingian, it's okay. Yeah. You can still use this this model. Maybe and I, I haven't asked Dr. Anderson about that. Uh, I'm sure Tyler would say now because he is taking over the world with uh, proper functionalism. Right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what's your theory, Parker, if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, what, what do you like for uh, an epistemology?
1: Oh man, I'm, I'm definitely tempted more towards uh, proper functionalism. Um, it just makes more sense to me. I think that there is, it's, I think it, it stacks the deck for theism. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like that about it. I like being able to use evolutionary argument to to kick people off and I love Anderson, you know, so I've learned a ton from him been emailing him for like five years now, whatever and uh all of you know read all this stuff, listened to all of this stuff, read his books so like yeah I, I do like it, but then a lot of my friends who are Christians are like externalism's dumb. and I'm like, dang it, what about planning on? They're like, uh, he was really smart, but internalisms words that so yeah so still wrestling well dude so what i what i what i want to close on what i think is interesting is uh some people who who saw your paper online um or who are listening and i don't know i'll probably title this something with paradox in it they go well this isn't a paradox at all we have a solution for it it's it's b theory of time right and so i think what's what's cool with you guys or whatever yeah it's they'll use an analogy like someone watching a a taped uh uh, NFL game and yep. saying, yeah, you can have foreknowledge and blah, blah, I think what's interesting there it, what, with you guys is you're saying we're, we're limiting, we're limit limiting, limiting it to the paradox form from mm-hmm. this argument and just saying, we're not going to commit ourselves to B theory or to this theory. We're not going to yeah. do the extra steps of committing. We're saying just at this level, it can be justified. It can be warranted. And so then you can go and do your work and, and solve the de facto objection in whatever way you want, but we want to do it in such a way that everyone who holds to libertarian free will and foreknowledge can be rational in affirming it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that kind of goes back to what I, what I said at the beginning. And it's really, if you read the conclusion of the paper, that's really sort of where my head is at Mm -hmm. uh, thinking through these issues. But um, yeah, uh, these issues are so intertwined and there's so many different um, sort of philosophical sub-discipline that implicated in this problem that uh, and, and I wonder I mean it seems relatively unique within the walls of philosophy given uh, how many things need to be settled in order to come up with a sort of comprehensive solution and how if you change one, like I said before, if you change one, three others, you need to adjust three others. Right. Uh, and so that's yeah, that's really sort of, you're talking about the upshot, the beauty I, I think of this proposal is you can be, you can totally be neutral on all those other things as far as, you know, the the holding to these two, uh, you know, holding the free will and, and foreknowledge. Um, you can be neutral through the metaphysics of time. You can choose your metaphysics of time. You can choose whatever sort of free will, uh, or maybe you're going to choose free will, causality maybe, or um, the nature of God, things like that. So... Uh, yeah, that's the beauty of it is you don't have to play this game where it's like, okay, then you know, this is, uh, uh, this is, you know, I, I need this on time ontology, right? I need this B theory of time. And so, well, does that mean I can't hold to, what is God like then if I have to hold it? Well, maybe I got to change the nature of God. Yeah. And then, and so you're messing, you're doing all these things that, uh, uh, that, that change all this other stuff. And so it's like, well, I'll put all that to the side. And I don't think, and this is what I asked you at the beginning. I don't think this problem warrants such um, such moves, right? It, it just, it seems when you hear, when you initially hear the argument, right? Because God knows the future, I don't have free will. That just seems wrong to mm-hmm. think, at least initially. You're like, well, that's why there's no, what, what could possibly be the connection? And then you get into it and you see, wow, there really is a problem here. Yeah, uh, But I think the problem is just more of how we could ever understand uh, uh, these terms all together, right? And how, how we could ever build a coherent picture tr- with all these different unsettled uh, philosophical subdisciplines. And so, I think uh, again, I think this is a perfect place to appeal to analogy. What I uh, what I what I said to you before. What I'm excited to think about is uh, and to see what what comes of this is what what the other side of the debate has to say. Right? Can the Calvinists utilize this? to To motivate, um, uh, to better motivate, sort of Anderson's model uh, on a theological determinist uh, or a Calvinist, and I know that those words are are loaded too. But, oh, yeah. but you know what I'm yeah. saying, right? I mean, on a yeah. more, you know, is there a different way to apply this that's better? That's more. That's more motivated. That that doesn't need to. That we maybe could extend just to theology instead of having to hold to this non-theological you know, arguably non-theological notion of libertarian free will as pap. And so, Mm. um, so yeah, a lot going on here. And then to give you a little sort of hint on where I'm going, I'm uh, in my dissertation uh, and I've been working uh, closely with J.C. Beal and we're, we're writing a paper together, sort of exploring a non-classical approach, non-classical logic logical approach to the issue where we say okay no it is a genuine contradiction right yeah. this is a real contradiction but you can have real contradictions right so we give this this glut theoretic account and sort of put that out on the table as a possible solution, yeah. uh to
1: that the one problem. blows my mind dude that one is nuts i gotta read his book but i'm oh. like Marker, you got it's so good. The dialethian answer like makes me break out in hives.
0: Yeah. It's so oh, tough. Oh it is. It, it it's made reading having my dissertation, the sort of the cornerstones of my dissertation being James Anderson and JC Beale. Right. It's just like I, <laughs> every day I wake up and like, oh, I'm so happy because I get yeah. to read the works of these two titans. Oh,
1: that's funny, man. I thought I wouldn't get any sleep. I feel like I would just have them oh, rest me yeah, in my I head.
0: I don't get so I'm up at three in the morning thinking, well, wait, is this a paradox? <laughs> yeah. Is this a fiction? Yeah. Like, yeah. Am I alive? Do I exist? You know, yeah, like, oh, man, that's but awesome. The work of these two uh, theologians, philosophers uh, uh, is just it's really a privilege to get to read this stuff every day. Yeah. Uh, uh, and two awesome people. You said you've had James Anderson on, I've, I've uh, we've had him on our podcast. I mean, he's unbelievable. Yeah. And then I've gotten to work closely with JC Beal and he's JC's scary, smart, right? I mean, yeah. just scary, brilliant, Logician, right? Logician. And yeah. just like, you think Einstein genius, like the, the top philosophical journals come, come to JC to publish. work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. he's good. Uh, uh, and, and like Anderson, just incredible people. I mean, they're just awesome, awesome people. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm really grateful that my my dissertation is based around their work. I'm, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to try to expand the work of two just titans. Uh, the theological and philosophical titans so it's a, it's a joy you know
1: yeah dude that's awesome i'm, I'm really excited to see what you do especially with, with Beale stuff um yeah we got to keep keep talking about that because yeah. i'm interested i'm terrified and i i really like cla- non cla- or i like classical logic so so <laughs> yeah i'm terrified but it, yeah
0: it might sway me we'll see <laughs> Margaret was like five minutes of talking to JC and I was like, Oh my goodness. I don't know if this, I don't know. The yeah. law of contradiction. I don't know if that holds. Oh, man. Time, man. So, I, yeah. I flirted with, I flirted with
1: letting go of, um, by before because, yeah. uh, certain models of presuppositions, uh, strawsonian presuppositions might mess with that, but it's, I'm scared, man. I'm scared. So we'll we'll have to see. I'm I am intrigued by by your challenge or your invitation for the Calvinists to to grab and go with um with uh I guess um freedom and uh determinism. Uh yeah. I, I, I wonder if Anderson I think he did bring it up in the book, but he didn't use it the way he did with like the Trinity and uh yeah. incarnation. I think
0: he gestures at it as as like you you this could be extended to this problem. But yeah. I don't think takes it uh further than
1: that
0: yeah. yeah i'm excited to see the work that that's going to come of this not and, and again the goal i i think if you speak to tyler i'll the same to say the same thing as we we need to utilize anderson's model more often because it's yeah. such a great it's such a great model such a great tool yeah
1: so, so I've, I've i've taken his work on the uh authorial analogy in calvinism problem of evil and i wed that with uh dr van hoosers for my master's thesis and so that's, that's the way I go with, with freedom and determinism, but it would be so, cause I try to give like a, a de facto uh, answer. Right. And, right. Uh, and it's that we're living in a novel and it's, you know, God is an author in an analogical way. Yeah.
0: That I didn't so, know, have you put that, have you submitted that for publication? Um,
1: I, I have with one dude, um, just like, you know, it's a master's thesis, so I don't want to get too out over my skis. Like Van Hoos said, it was really good, so I'm encouraged by that. If I could get him to write a, uh, if sure. I could get him to write something for it, then it would, I could get it anywhere. You know, it's, it's Van Who's there. Let's go. That's
0: right. You're yeah. a beast, brother. I mean, you yeah. gotta get it out there so we can read it, man.
1: That'd be sweet. Yeah. Well, dude, this has been awesome. I, I uh, thanks thanks for sending me the paper. Thanks for talking uh, to me about it. This is really fun. I'm sure I, people right now listening are, are loving it. This is really fun.
0: Awesome. Parker, thank you for having me on, man. Sorry, it got dark in the room. I forgot Mm -hmm. the lights on, but sorry for the internet stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to come back on. I'll get that. Once I get further down the line with that, with uh, JC Beal stuff, we'll uh, hop back on and
1: discuss that as well. man. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, we could talk about this more, but it's going to have to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.